This episode of No Place Like Home is brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our almost 3 million members and supporters who are working to power this nation with clean energy at sierraclub.org. Hello, I'm Mary Ann Hitt. And I'm Anna Jane Joyner. This is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. This is our first podcast since the election, and we're so excited to be back with new episodes for you to help us all get through these insane times. So for this special episode today, Anna Jane and I are just going to catch up just the two of us on how we've been and what we do next, including tools for all of the listeners out there who want to resist the Trump agenda. And now Anna Jane and I have some catching up to do. Hey, Anna Jane, and hello to all of our listeners. We are so happy to be back with our podcast. Things got so crazy after the election that we weren't able to bring you any episodes, but we are back and we are going to be back with a lot of great new episodes for you starting today. And so I can't wait to dive right in with you, Anna Jane. How in the world are you doing? Oh my gosh, it has been an insane couple of months, like literally, I think the most insane couple of months I've ever experienced. <laughs> um, Me too. I'm surviving, surviving out here in this wild west. Um, well, let me you tell doing? you, I, you know, I have had a, a crazy time because the uh, in my work life, the Sierra Club asked me to pull together our strategy for fighting back against the Trump agenda on climate change and clean air and water. And I have been up to my eyeballs doing that, which I want to tell our listeners about a little later, because I have so many great ideas of things people can do to fight back and fight for our our planet. And I know people are eager to hear what those things are. Uh, But before we do that, I'm just so eager to catch up with you because I know that you are living in a place and in a family with lots of Trump supporters. And I want to know how you're holding up. And I'm also hoping you can give me some kind of a, (laughs) some kind of a ray of hope of the sort of the, you know, what's, what's getting you through when you think about where we're all headed, especially when it comes to our very fragile planet we live on. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear some of your, your action items and the way the Sierra Club is thinking and, and moving forward, because I do think that right now, it's just so, so much chaos that it's hard to know where to put your focus. And I even feel that way. And I've been doing this kind of work for a while now. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners are are feeling a little bit um, inundated and lost in, in where, where we go now and what we do now. Um, but yeah, I do. I live, I'm living in a very interesting space at the moment. My So as you know, I moved to Alabama, South Alabama, um, over the summer from Brooklyn, New York which is quite the cultural jump. Um, my family's from down there, my mom's side of the family. It's absolutely beautifully, like, it's just heaven. We live on the water. You know, the sunsets are magical every night. Um, but it does mean that I now live in one of the reddest states in America. Um, in fact, more people in Alabama voted for Trump than any other presidential candidate in history, <laughs> which is pretty hard to stomach. Um, well, you know, I live in West Virginia, where we apparently went more for Trump uh than any other state in oh, terms yeah. of like the percentage. So we're we're in good company. So what's the uh what's your what's your ray of hope for the hope for our planet and all this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I do think there's hope. I am clinging to hope 
Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of like I have days where I'm sort of, especially right after the election where it was kind of like, I don't know if there's hope <laughs> this might be all going to hell. But lately, I think I, I have been feeling that there, you know, just the incredible, I mean, I mean, the Women's March gave me an incredible amount of hope in the fact that millions of people, many of whom were not activists, um, are starting to really get engaged and, and to get, you know, to, to get active and to engage their friends. That to me has probably given me the most hope is, you know, on, you know, on in my life, there are so many, you know, women and men who who prior to this election weren't activists and weren't calling their Congress people every day and weren't, you know, showing up to rallies. And now they are. And and I think that's inspiring and important and um, and going to really help us move the needle and, and hopefully overcome some of these huge problems we've inherited. Well, um, and I will also just, um, you know, I think anyone who saw you on the years of living dangerously or who follows you on Facebook knows that uh, your, your dad is a, a very famous evangelical pastor and you disagree on lots of things. And those disagreements have been <laughs> uh, playing out in social media at times over the course of the election. And so I know our, a lot of our listeners are thinking of you and sending you their love and, uh, and also just admire you for your, your voice and your integrity in um, you know, being in, being in the midst of some people you love very much, but who you disagree with very much. I think it's a, just an inspiring um, example for lots of people. So thank you for your, just your courage and your clarity and your, your voice. Well, thank you. That means a lot. I definitely feel, it feels a little lonesome down in Alabama sometimes, but, um, but I, I do feel like I, there's so much um, connection and support out there. And, and it's, I have to remind myself sometimes to reach for it because it's tempting just to kind of curl up in a ball, <laughs> but um, so that means that means a lot. And and it's you know I'm here today actually at my dad's church, um, which is the Ford, former Heritage USA, the kind of infamous place where Jim and Tammy Faye Baker um, went down in flames essentially. Now you um, know I think you only just we only just discovered that after they left there they retired to my hometown of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I, so yet another no common bond we share, oh. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating people for sure. So anyway, um, so you're there today. I am. So my dad's church bought this property a couple of years ago, and this is now where they host not only their church, but a, a school, like two or three schools and a conference center and a hotel. And, and it's, it's a pretty uh, intimidating, but historical <laughs> place. Um, for a while, I couldn't, you know, come without taking anxiety meds, but I, I have gotten to a place where I can be here. And that to me, I don't know, there's something about that that gives me hope. Like we're here for a family wedding. My adopted brother is getting married this weekend and my whole extended family is here. And, you know, about half of them are Trump supporters. And I was I was really looking at this with a lot of anxiety and trepidation. But then when I, you know, my dad picked me up from the airport and we had a lovely conversation on the way home. And um, I just have been avoiding some conversations with him, like the plague. And, and that feels sometimes wrong to me because I'm like, we should be able to talk about these things in person without it turning into a huge argument. But for right now, that's just kind of where we are. And, you know, I sort of do struggle. I've seen a lot of people since the election, you know, say very beautiful, thoughtful things about how part of the big problem right now is that we're, we're so um, polarized and isolated in our respective bubbles 
that we're not talking to each other and connecting with each other. And we're not. And as a result, it's easier to other someone or to demonize them. But, you know, I've, I'm kind of in this unique space where I, I do sort of hurdle those two worlds pretty regularly and maintain, you know, largely positive relationships with people who did support Trump and do support Trump. Um, and and it I haven't always seen that lead to, like, shifting our perspectives on politics. So I don't know. That's kind of an open question for me. Like, I definitely I absolutely believe that it is critical that we maintain relationships with people who don't see the world that we do and that we learn from them and try to you know, grow as as humans. But I don't know that it's a silver bullet that if, you know, if all of a sudden all of the people on the left and the right start hanging out and getting coffee, we're going to, you know, figure out these major problems we have now. Um, I don't know. Kind of. A, I appreciate yeah. you sharing that because I have a feeling there are a lot of people who very much have that on their mind right now. Um, so I think you're going to be a great voice for a lot of us going forward as we try to figure this out. Hi, my name is Ian Jones and I live in Fort Mill, South Carolina, and your dinner party climate fact for today is this. Scientists have declared that 2016 was the hottest year on record. If that statistic sounds at all familiar, it might be because the previous record holder for hottest year was 2015, and before that it was 2014, making the last three years the three hottest years ever recorded. Perfect. Bam. You nailed that one. Should we shift over to kind of what we think Trump might do and and how people can help? Yes, let's definitely talk about that, because um, I think the the silver lining absolutely of this election has been the fact that we now have millions of more people who are ready to take out, you know, who not only are ready, are already taking a stand um, and being active. And that is absolutely hopeful and a, a huge positive Um and we just need to to direct our energy in productive ways. So please do tell us how to do that. Um, well, the, the most important thing for listeners to know is that we can stop a lot of the bad ideas that Donald Trump has put forward, which are, you know, very chilling on a whole host of fronts. And we're not going to talk about all of them or we would be here for 24 hours. We're going to really focus in on the climate and environmental threats. Um, but obviously, Anna Jane and I both care about the border wall and a Muslim registry and undocumented people. And I could go on and on. It's pretty, it's pretty horrifying. But when it comes to climate change and the environment, um, we really do have uh, an incredible opportunity right now, I think, to keep winning at the state and local level and then block the Trump agenda at the federal level. So let me just say before we get into the federal side that, um, most decisions about how we make energy in America, you know, whether we have more solar panels, what happens to our coal-fired power plants, those are mostly made at the state level and the local level. And so for all you listeners out there, um, that is a place where we can keep making progress. I mean, just recently, just in the past few days, New York State announced a giant new offshore wind project off the coast of Long Island that's going to power 50,000 homes with renewable energy. That's post-election. That's all because of, you know, a coalition of 40 local environmental and labor and community groups that worked hard for that for five years. And so that's that is a kind of progress we can keep making to have 
less carbon and less pollution uh, and, and less of a threat to our climate and, and keep making progress on clean energy. So, so does that a, a good start, Anna Jane, in terms of uh, a ray of hope? <laughs> Absolutely. I do. I, I think, you know, I keep coming back to um, Lenny, our shared mentor, Lenny Combe, who um, kind of spearheaded the, the movement on the federal level to end mountaintop removal. And just his like his is, you know, in some ways it was just really simple advice to show up at all these like public hearings and to show up at your congressperson's office and to call, you know, and to and that that really is what shifts things that what that's what allows, you know, progress to happen. And it, and it really does happen most often on a local level. So yeah. that and, yes. And then here. and then also just those very same things you said are what's key to stopping Trump at the federal level. So mm -hmm. there are basically three categories of bad things he can do. He can appoint bad people to run our federal agencies like the EPA and to the Supreme Court. He can take executive actions like he just did to authorize uh, in his first week to authorize the Keystone Pipeline and the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, and then there are the things that have to go through Congress, which would be something like, uh, you know, passing a piece of legislation to repeal some sort of environmental standard. Um, and, uh, and then I guess within the, within the sort of actions he can take without Congress, he can also just sort of monkey around with our environmental regulations. So he cannot defend them in court. Um, the Clean Power Plan is the standard that we have for climate pollution from power plants. And if he, it's, in, it's being litigated in court right now, and if, if his administration just doesn't defend it, uh, that's, that's a big problem. And he can also write new regulations that kind of undermine the ones we have on the books for clean air and water. So nominating bad people, taking bad sort of executive and administrative actions, and then things that go through Congress. And the good news for um, all of our listeners is most of the things he wants to do that would be really fundamentally bad for the environment and for the climate would have to go through Congress and would require 60 votes to pass. And we... Um, uh, and the Republicans don't have those 60 votes that they need. So we have 48 Democrats in the Congress, in the Senate uh, specifically. And if those 48 Democrats, if all or almost all of them stick together, um, then this agenda is not going to get through the Congress. So um, just what you said, Anna Jane, showing up at your member of Congress's office, calling them, emailing them posting on their social media pages. But in particular, if you can find out when they're having events, if you can go meet with them, if you can meet with their staff, they all have offices in the states where they have staff, where you can go meet with the staff. It's it's raising your voice and making it heard and, and doing that consistently. It's really, it is going to make a difference. I mean, we really do have a chance. I think it's going to, I mean, I really think that is the, the huge opportunity we have is even, you know, in, in places like Alabama where, we it's a Repu you know my representatives are republicans um the more they hear about these issues and and you don't have to know the ins and outs of the bill or the legislation even just calling or showing up at their office and saying i care about climate change you know that that registers and if enough people do that over and over again it it does like they are beholden to their constituents they work for us and they have to listen to us and i think that that is such a simple and critical way and and you know, it's, it's funny to me. I feel like in some ways, civic engagement feels very um, like 
scary to people <laughs> other than just yeah. voting or doing you the know, notebook. It's amazing how many friends I've had over the last couple of weeks who've said they're nervous about calling their member of Congress. Yeah, like but they're it's... nervous about picking up the phone of like, you know, that they're going to, it's like their senator's going to be on the other line being like, explain yourself. You know, yeah. it's like, no, no, it's a very polite person who is very good at this. <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's so easy. Like, even like, I remember when I was you know, working in the community organizing space, we we would, you know, we'd organize meetings with our congressional representatives regularly. Um, And every time there was always new people who had never done it, who were nervous. And always afterwards, they were like, oh my gosh, that was so empowering and easy. And like, you know, it's just a conversation. These people are people. You don't and have I think, to have all the talking points. You just have to share your heart. And Exactly. And I think the, the Women's March and all the solidarity marches around the country gave people a flavor of that for the first time, that going and standing up for the things you believe in is actually not only not scary, but it's super empowering. And I feel like there is this spirit. And I just wrote a, a blog post about this actually in the Huffington Post that I think this new spirit of activism has been unleashed that is like nothing I have seen in my lifetime. And you know, it, it's incredibly encouraging and we need those folks to, to not just be involved for one magical historic day, but to stay involved. Absolutely. I just got chills when you were saying that. <laughs> I have some specific questions <laughs> about what's happening, um, especially in the environmental space, because it just feels like such an avalanche of information every day. It's hard to keep up even for, for you know somebody who's fairly regular to tracking tracking a lot of this stuff. So one of the things that most concerns me about the Trump administration is his appointees, um, his cabinet appointees, particularly Rex Tillerson for our secretary of state. Even saying that just makes me want to crawl into a hole. Um, And also Scott Pruitt for the EPA, who has sued the EPA and doesn't really believe in environmental protection. So I'm just curious what, you know, Marianne, what is your perspective on that particular situation? What is the Sierra Club thinking and encouraging people to do about it? Um, What can we do? So uh, Rex Tillerson is the CEO of Exxon and uh, very close ties with Russia is uh, part of his traipsing around the world, drilling for oil for many years. And uh, he, he has actually already been approved by the committee. So the way the process works is they have a hearing in a committee, the committee votes, and then it goes to a full vote of the Senate. Um, and he's obviously very troubling because you have a, you know, one of the chief architects of climate denial who is going to be leading our foreign policy. Um, and then Scott Pruitt, who has been nominated ahead of the EPA, is the uh, attorney general of the state of Oklahoma. And he has been one of the primary architects of efforts to dismantle a lot of the core progress of EPA over the past few decades, and not just uh, in his seat as the Oklahoma Attorney General, where he did uh, raise lots of money from polluters and then use that money to sue the, the and use the taxpayer money from the people of Oklahoma to sue the EPA. Um, there's a, a, a couple of instances of him literally copying and pasting letters from fossil fuel companies onto Oklahoma Attorney General letterhead and submitting those to the EPA. He eliminated the Environmental Enforcement Division uh, for the state of Oklahoma. So there were the people supposed to enforce the clean air and water laws that were not there anymore. So it's, it's just like a chilling track record. I mean, he's one of the chief architects of 
of attacks on the EPA for many years and of bringing together Republican attorneys general from all these other states to mount this more concerted attack. And uh, not just on environmental priorities, but on the Affordable Care Act, on President Obama's actions on immigration. Um, and the thing about Scott Pruitt is people don't know him as much. The CEO of Exxon is more of a household name. And Scott Pruitt is someone no one has heard of and still does not have a lot of name recognition. So, so the, the way to stop these folks uh, is when they get to their vote on the floor of the Senate. And I will be honest, it's going to be very hard because there's this deference to presidents to have the cabinet that they want to have. And unfortunately, we are running into that even with these very extreme nominees. So we're fighting them and we're trying to get senators, especially people who are on the fence on the Republican and Democratic side to vote no. But even if we do, even if if we don't win and we don't stop these people, um, senators need to be held accountable. You know, if uh Lamar Alexander from Tennessee hears from lots of constituents that they don't want Scott Pruitt in office and he votes the wrong way, then he knows he's going to be hearing from people once he does that. And so this is, you know, again, even if we don't win every vote in the Congress along the way, uh, we've got to make our voice heard and then we have to hold people accountable and let them know we're not letting up. So let me ask you about that. So there's essentially like three stages. Like one is everybody who's listening to this needs to immediately call their senators and tell them to vote against these guys because they are crazy. Um, And then but even if they do get voted in, which seems likely given the historical treatment of of cabinet appointees, we need to call them back and say it's super screwed up that you voted for these horrible planet killing monsters. Yeah. And we're um, going to be watching for the bad actions they take in their agencies. And, and we're going to be. Yeah. So that's my question is like, you know, let's say three months from now or two months from now, or even a month from now, these people have been voted in. We've all called and expressed our outrage multiple times before and after the votes. Then what? Like, then what do we do? Yep. And so then say Scott Pruitt is the head of the EPA and he comes in and says, uh, you know, we're going to not not only we're going to not defend the clean power plan in court, which it is in court right now. It's again, it's the the hall, the the standard for climate pollution from power plants. that was the centerpiece of our Paris climate agreement. So if he comes in and says, I'm not going to defend that in court and I'm also going to like revoke it and I'm going to you know, either not replace it or I'm going to replace it with something crappy and horrible. Then again, we go to our, our senators. I mean, we also call the administration, but we go to our senators and we say, this is a, this is a life-saving climate protection and you c- cannot stand for this. And so watching the actions they take after they're in and again, calling our senators and asking our senators to stop these things from happening is going to be super important. And it's also going to be important that we turn out to turn out to rallies, turn out to marches. There's going to be a big People's Climate March, April 29th in Washington. Um, and you know, having having tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of people out there is going to be one more important show of force. So, watch the actions that these folks take, even more than their words, and uh, and make those phone calls when they do bad things. And the Sierra Club, will, along with other environmental groups, uh, we have a rapid response network. We'll be alerting people when those things happen, and hopefully, uh, you know, giving people the tools that they need to respond. Uh, the challenge I will admit is there is so much crazy stuff happening. And so uh, staying on top of it is no small feat, but we are doing our best to get people opportunities to do rapid response when these bad things happen. So basically like the kind of seed to take away is call your Senator every day and tell them (laughs) that these people are doing horrible things 
and that we're watching them. Yeah, put their put their phone numbers of their offices in your favorites in your phone so that you can just like have them on speed dial. But also like find out where their local district office is and go meet with their yeah. staff and write on their Facebook pages or tweet at them. Um, and then also be talking to other decision makers in your state. You know, if, if, if you live in a place, um, you know, like Alabama, where you feel like maybe your senators won't be sympathetic to your point of view, figure out, you know, mayors, think about um, members of your state legislature, you know, just, just having, having elected officials feel like there is this upwelling of grassroots resistance to the Trump agenda is something they will all pay attention to. I mean, if you think about what the Tea Party did 10 years ago, where every member of Congress was kind of terrified of, of that grassroots anger that was rising up, uh, there is grassroots anger rising up now on all these issues. And if your member of Congress isn't listening as much as you would like, uh, don't give up, but also think about other people who might, who might yeah. be more receptive. And also don't like write them off. I used to organize in a district where Mark Meadows was our representative and you might remember him because he was the architect of shutting our government down a few years ago <laughs> um, and is like one of the like furthest right Tea Party dudes in in the Congress. Um, but I met with him and his staff once with a group of his constituents who are concerned about climate change and impacts on agriculture. He lives in a very agricultural district. Um, and he was he was very. You know, he, he's a politician. He said all the nice things and he seemed to listen. He also happened to be a very devout, devout Christian. So we brought him books on faith and faith and environmentalism and he was receptive. And I don't know that it shifted anything, but I do think that he gave us the time. He listened to us. And then if we continued doing that, he would pay attention over time. And it, and it made a difference. And so, you know, I live Jeff Sessions is my senator at the moment. I don't know if I'm supposed to be calling him, telling him not to vote for himself as attorney general. Um, but, um, but you know, I still am taking the time to call his office every day along with my other senator, knowing, Thank you. you know, and, and I think that that's, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in a really red place or a really blue place. Like we have to, we have to, you know, really like respect and honor our role as citizens. And this is part of it. Um, yeah, so I have a couple of other questions <laughs> about uh, crazy things. Relatedly, this muzzling of scientists and career, you know, career scientists and career professionals in the federal government um, at not only the EPA, but some of the other agencies is just striking to me. Um, and the fact that, you know, I've heard that they're actually physically taking away people's computers and um, being really careless with data that has taken years to collect. And, you know, as I'm not sure if our listeners know this, but you know, a lot of our climate data has come from the incredible research of government in of government scientists at NASA and NOAA and the EPA. So this is particularly concerning. Um, and I'm just curious, what do you think is happening with all of that? How do we preserve this incredibly part important part of our, of, you know, I don't know, of our property? We're American citizens. We own that. <laughs> you know, it's it's also frightening. Not only are they trying to sort of muzzle the the scientists, um, but they um, are trying to freeze funding. And, you know, it's when you think about the funding they're trying to freeze for contractors, it's people who do things like clean up Superfund sites yeah. and, uh, you know, go out. And if there's some sort of a spill, you know, they're the, the sort of first responders uh, along with the state officials to that spill and figuring out how to clean it up. So, you know, the, the, the folks who are doing that work, are, they're now 
in limbo and it's really scary for anybody who breathes air and drinks water. So, um, so the muzzling of, of scientists and of their data and of the funding that, that we need to protect our air and our water is definitely scary. And I think, I think one thing folks can do there is learn more about in your state, uh, what are the things that the EPA is doing that are really benefiting your state, whether it's cleaning up the Great Lakes or cleaning up a coal ash spill or taking care of a big Superfund site. And that's the thing I think to bring to your members of Congress and your governor and your state agency and say, um, you know, this is what's at risk in our state. It's not abstract, it's very specific. It's lots of jobs. It's, it's uh, things that people really care about that are very concrete. And take those examples to your elected officials and say, you need to stand up for us and you need to stand up for our uh, for our state and, and people's lives are on the line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as somebody who, I live on the Gulf Coast and we live off of, it's called um, Perdido Bay. Um, so it's kind of like a little bit off of the Gulf of Mexico. Um, but, you know, it was, there are pictures of during the oil spill of of the bay that I live on, that my family has, you know, have li- has lived on for almost a century, just inundated with oil. And, you know, like we had, there was massive fish kills for years after, after that. And even though it's a very red place, people are really concerned about the environment because we live on the water. And like, that's a critically important thing to us. So it doesn't, you know, it goes back to like, it, it really doesn't matter where you live, there's always something that you can you can bring to your elected officials and say, this directly impacts me and my family <laughs> or the place that I love or my you know kids future. And and it's just it's you know finding what that is for you exactly. and communicating it to the people that we you know are legally responsible for for leading us. So one more question. <laughs> and this is like, uh, I just I'm just like this hurts my heart so much. But the whole Standing Rock and Keystone XL pipeline thing. Um, what's happening there? What can we do? Because that, you know, I don't, I got arrested protesting Keystone years ago. And the fact that that's back on the table just personally felt like somebody punched me in the gut. But the Standing Rock issue to me, just watching that powerful story and, you know, the incredible victory that was had but isn't over. You know, it was just, it was just so riveting and heartbreaking, and the fact that with the sign of Trump's pin, all of a sudden that's you know we're we're back to to kind of to just we're back to square. I don't know if we're back to square one. You tell me. <laughs> what do we do? Where are we? Well, uh, I think the good news, if there is any, is that uh, just because he signed this piece of paper does not mean. These things have a green light. So there is still more process that has to be gone through. Um, It's not as easy as him sitting down and signing a piece of paper. Uh, And we can still challenge it in the courts and we can still challenge it in the streets. And I think that the um, people around the nation were riveted and galvanized by the Dakota Access Pipeline fight and the Keystone Pipeline fight. And I think those are decisions by Donald Trump that are going to really get people into the streets. And I think there are going to be people putting their bodies on the line again, just like we saw uh, with those pipelines in the past. And I think he is going to have a massive, massive fight on his hands. And I think, um, and I, you know, I 
want to be candid, it is going to be hard uh, to hold the line on those with the unfriendly administration. But uh, so many people are so passionate about that. And I, and, uh, you know, I think it's like he poked a, a snake, you know, or he poked a, like a badger in its hole when he signed that piece of paper. And he is going to really feel some very fierce resistance. And so, uh, and, and then ultimately, um, you know, it, 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 it's the leadership of frontline communities in those places that I think is going to be what we all need to look to to, for what's next. Um, and it's the leadership of the Standing Rock Sioux and Indigenous Environmental Network and First Nations in Alberta um, that I think we're all going to be looking to as we figure out um, sort of what's next. And hopefully we can have a guest on our podcast in the future from uh, one of those communities and one of those fights who, who can offer what they're thinking. Because I think uh, the leadership right now from Indigenous people, people of color, women of color, young people, uh, I think that is the, a, a beacon that we should all be looking to follow uh, as we try to navigate these. You know, I feel like we're in we're in a, a a raft and we're about to jump into some very big white water, and we all have our little paddles. and uh, And I think we're that that's some of the leadership we should be looking to as Absolutely. we barrel down this crazy river. Ah, all right, so. Well, why don't we leave people with a couple of things that they can do because uh, we've mentioned them, but maybe I can just round them up here. Um, so again, put your senators and your, everyone has two senators and one member of the House of Representatives. So put their phone number in the favorites on your phone and call them often. Uh, look up where they have offices near you and go visit them. And as Anna Jane said, just speak from your heart. It's okay if uh, you're not an ultimate expert on every last detail. Um, Keep going to rallies and marches at the People's Climate March. April 29th is one. It's going to be in D.C. and around the country, but there are going to be lots more. And turning out in numbers um, is important to show that kind of force. Uh, the third thing, the Sierra Club is forming rapid response teams, and you can join one. I'll give you a URL here that I'll repeat a couple of times. It's sc.org slash rr. So sc as in Sierra Club dot org slash rr is in rapid response. Um, and that way you can get into our network for how to respond immediately when these things happen. And then finally, we have a page where you can take action right now, which is sierraclub.org slash resist. So that's sierraclub.org slash resist, where you can comment about Tillerson, Pruitt, the Supreme Court nominee we expect next week, the Keystone Dakota Access Pipelines, whatever the big priority fights are at that moment. Um, and, and then I think the lastly, the most important thing is talk to your friends and uh, organize your own networks and figure out what you can do. You're not alone uh, and stand up and speak up and, and join us uh, because we're going to be in this for the long haul. And I think that is so critically important. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And we have to take care of ourselves and take care of each other because we are being inundated. But, you know, I, I think it's like, like Lenny used to say, like, we just have to win. So, and, and, and there's always hope until the end of the world happens. And we hope this podcast will be a place that will help, help bolster up your spirits out there, listeners, uh, because we all need to love and support each other right now. And, and we're back and we're so happy to be back and be taking on these big issues. So thank you for listening and we love you. We love you uh, and we're so happy to be back in a place like home. All right, that just about does it for us. Marianne and I want to thank y'all so much for listening. 
Our theme music is by River Wireless, and once again, we're sponsored by the Sierra Club. This episode was produced by the madly skilled Zach Mack, who recently moved to California where there's a drought, so you better start cutting down on that shower time. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and please also leave us a review on iTunes. This really helps us get the word out. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be posting all episodes and updates and information about upcoming episodes on our Twitter page, at NPLH podcast. That's at NPLH podcast. So be sure to follow us there. If you like our show or have any questions, comments, suggestions, or want to be part of our show by reading a dinner party climate fact for an upcoming episode, tweet at us. Again, we're at NPLH podcast. And remember, there's no place like home.